So let's let's look at at Second uh, Peter chapter two. And Second Peter chapter two. We'll start reading from verse one. But false prophets arose. But false prophets arose among the people, just as there also will be false teachers among you, who will secretly introduce destructive heresies, <clears throat> even denying the master who bought them, bringing swift destruction upon themselves. <clears throat> Many will follow their sensuality, and because of them the way of the truth will be maligned. And in their greed they will exploit you with false words. Their judgment from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. Okay, so um, what we see here is that is that we talked a little bit about this last time, that just as in Israel there would be false prophets, there were false prophets, and we looked at some of those in the days of Jehoshaphat and Ahab. <clears throat> so there are going to be false teachers among them. Uh, before I move on, I want to I wanna think about how do you, how do you identify a false teacher, a false teacher? A, a, uh, um, how do you identify a false teacher? How is this done? When I, and I think that, that uh, I, I just want to look again at, at what, what happened with Jehoshaphat in, in 1 Kings chapter 22, 1 Kings chapter 22, verse 5. It says, Moreover, Jehoshaphat said to the king of Israel, Please inquire first for the Lord, for, for the word of the Lord. Then the king of Israel gathered the prophets together, about 400 men. And said to them, Shall I go against Ramoth Gilead to the battle, or shall I refrain? And they said, Go up, for the Lord will give it into the hand of the king. But Jehoshaphat said, Is there not yet a prophet of the Lord here, that we may inquire of him? So there were 400 false prophets. 400 of them. And so that, that's, uh, that's actually quite a lot. I mean, 400 false prophets. And... and uh, um, they start prophesying, and Jehoshaphat immediately picks it out. He says, look, none of these guys are doing it for me. Uh, uh, these are false prophets. And he knew immediately they were false prophets. And I think the same thing is with false teachers. Uh, I, and I used an example last week that if somebody were to be standing up reading some cult-like document, I would know certainly within 10 seconds, that no, that's not the Bible, that's, that's some cult-like document. Um, if you surround yourself with truth all the time, you know falsehood very quickly. If you're not surrounding yourself with truth, you just don't identify falsehood. You know, there's the, the old, the old uh, uh, instruction that when FBI agents were learning to identify um, false currency, fake currency, they would only handle uh, real currency. I mean, over and over again, day after day, they would be, be handling real currency and taught what to look at in all of these, these features on real currency, and they would handle it, they'd touch it. Before they ever picked up the, the, the uh, um, false currency. And so as soon as false currency was set before them, they immediately noticed what was going on. And I think that that's the case, that if you surround yourself with the truth of the Word of God, you understand the tenor of it. You understand the types of things that it, it teaches us along the way. 
And that's a way to identify it. And uh, uh, so if you surround yourself with truth, you're less likely to be influenced by, by, by false teachers. So he says, uh, but false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will also be false teachers among you, who will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, <clears throat> bringing swift destruction upon themselves. So these false teachers are going to deny the master that bought them. <clears throat> this word bought is this Greek word agorazo, which means purchased by redemption. So it's not, it's not just any old bought. It's purchasing by redemption. So this master who bought them, we talked a little bit about this last time as well, that master here means, means the supreme person in, that, that, that's there. So, so this master is not just, just some uh, plantation owner or something like that. Uh, that's not the type of uh, uh, thing that he's trying to get across here. He is, he is, this is a much deeper sort of thing. This is uh, uh, someone who really cares about their soul and somebody who's in charge of their soul. This is not a, a distant relationship. This is a, 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 someone who has total control over this person. Um, and so, so this master that bought them, this is redeemed. So you have to think about that. You have, you have these, these false teachers that deny the master that bought them. So they're denying the person and they're denying his work. They're denying the person and they're denying his work. They're denying the master that bought them. So both of these things are being denied here. And, and, uh, um, but it says that he bought them. He already bought them by redemption. So one could say that redemption is unlimited and atonement is unlimited. Some would argue that, that uh, um, uh, redemption and atonement is just for the elect. And I understand how they could get that. But this verse seems to teach us something a little bit different. And it's important to see contrasting verses to see the totality of what's here. So it certainly looks like redemption is unlimited because these are people who are even denying the master. It's not, it's not just that they're indifferent to the master. It's not that they're indifferent to Jesus. They are, they are uh, uh, denying Jesus and denying his work. Yet he has bought them by redemption. So, so redemption is unlimited by this text and atonement is unlimited. So some argue that Jesus died only for the elect or the chosen. Uh, uh, but redemption and atonement were provided to those who are denying him in this context. So it's really quite an interesting verse. Uh, um, so it seems as if salvation was provided for all people, the elect and the non-elect. Salvation was provided for the elect and the non-elect. He purchased them by redemption. Even those who deny him, he has purchased them by redemption. Now, salvation is only applied to those who believe, and only the elect will believe. Uh, but salvation was provided for all, even though, even the false teachers. Salvation was provided for all, even for the false teachers. It was provided. Uh, but it won't be applied to them, because they will not receive it. Uh, it's only to the elect that will believe. Only the elect will believe. 
And so this is a way that we can balance the two different sides of the verses. Remember in Romans, we had looked a lot at, uh, at in Romans chapter, end of chapter 8, Romans chapter 9, we looked a lot about this whole idea of election. Some, some Bibles, some, some translations use the word election. Some translations use the word chosen. And all of that which was written was true. Everything that's here is true. And this is why we understand better the totality of God when we get more verses in context. That redemption is unlimited, atonement is unlimited, and Jesus died uh, 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 for everyone. The atonement is here. It's provided to everyone, even to those that deny him. But those that, that deny him are among the non-elect, and it's not going to be applied to him. Salvation is only applied to those who believe, and only the elect will believe. And so in this way, we don't have to get too torn by, by people who, who uh, are on one extreme, and they'll say that Jesus only died for certain people and not for others. And that's really bothersome to other people that think that Jesus died for everyone. And in a sense, I would say that they're both right, in a sense, in that salvation is only applied to the elect, only the elect will believe, but, but salvation was provided even to those that deny him and deny his work. So you have both of those facets that they're denying. They're denying Jesus and they're denying his work. They're denying the master who bought them, who has redeemed them, who has purchased them by redemption. They're denying him. Yet he purchased them by redemption. And so in this way, we see that, 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 that really there's, there's truth and there's understanding in both sides. And uh, if we just take the one set of verses that we had looked at in Romans without this particular context, then we, we, we may have gotten one view. But here, it seems like there's certainly something different. And I'm, I'm sure that I'm upsetting somebody here. Um, but anyway, I do the best I can. Now, to that, to, particularly to that point, you know, uh, I don't think that he is speaking here when he's talking about false teachers. I don't think that he's speaking here about people who really mean well but they don't teach everything properly. You know, there are, there are times that, that I have taught things many times. So I've been teaching the Bible since I was around uh, uh, 19 or 20 years old. Certainly by the time I was 20, I was teaching the Bible and uh, uh, leading little Bible studies. Many things I had wrong, and many things today I have wrong. Maybe I'm wrong on what I just taught you, but I'm really trying. Now you could say, oh, and there's an example of a false teacher. If you want to call me a false teacher, fine. But, but uh, um, there are very strong words <clears throat> for false teachers that are going to be spoken of in this chapter that aren't going to sound very Christian at all. But, but what we see here is that, is that uh, uh, he's not talking about people who are really trying to teach the Word of God. This is a whole class of people that mean utter destruction. This is their intent. Their in intent is to deceive. Their intent is to go after sexuality. Their intent is to go after these sort of things, as we'll see it. And, uh, um, but, but just this idea that, that you may have had something wrong in your teaching, this, this happens all the time, <clears throat> and you'll continue to have it wrong. I mean, when I speak to theologians, I mean, they pick out things that, that, that I've taught. Uh, trust me, people all over the Internet contact me with corrections for me. <clears throat> and I tell them, I'm, I'm doing the best I can. I'm not a theologian. 
and sometimes I agree with them and sometimes I don't. But sometimes it's easier for me because I just can't deal with all the traffic coming in to just say, yeah, maybe you're right, and just be done with it because I can't, I can't kick this, 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 this ball back and forth with them. I can't volley as much as they would like just because I don't have time. I got a day job. <clears throat> then he says, it says that, that uh, they brought, who, brought who, who bought them, bringing swift destruction upon them. <clears throat> when their time for destruction comes, it's going to be very swift. He is going to destroy false teachers. He's going to destroy them. People who have denied him <clears throat> and, and the, the, the work that he's done in their life, he is going to destroy them. <clears throat> and it's going to be a very hard time for them. Uh, verse 2 of 2 Peter, chapter 2, verse 2. Many will follow their sensuality, and because of them, the way of the truth will be maligned. Many will follow their sensuality. Uh, sometimes the, some translations say deviousness. Uh, many will follow. There are going to be people that are drawn astray. <clears throat> but this verse, this particular word here, sensuality, is suggesting that a lot of times there's going to be a sexual component that's going to be coupled with their teaching. And this is what I have seen in cults. I've seen in cults that there's a sexual component that comes in, and it's almost justified. It's almost justified through their teaching. And we're going to see more of this. For example, in the same chapter in verse uh, 14, 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 14, having eyes full of adultery, that never cease from sin, enticing unstable souls, having a heart trained in greed, accursed children. So they're enticing unstable souls, uh, and they have eyes full of adultery, meaning that they view every that, that they're viewing every opportunity here as 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 a way of adultery. Uh, but here again in verse two, many will follow their sensuality, and it, and as it said in verse fourteen, that, that uh, enticing unstable souls. So often they will entice new believers, new believers that, that haven't, <clears throat> haven't uh, uh, built up greater resistance to this yet or haven't built up a greater understanding. But they're often led astray. And, and when I speak to people who are from a cult, I mean, I can usually detect it rather quickly <clears throat> and just by listening to what they say and asking a couple of questions. And uh, uh, you will see that within cults, very often it's, it's their way or the highway that, that you have to go by their little understanding of this way. And, uh, uh, but, but he says, many of them will follow their sensuality, and because of them, the way of truth will be maligned. And so the truth, even the ways that are right, can be maligned because of false teachers coming. And that's one of the things that, that he's teaching us here. Verse 4, uh, I'm sorry, verse 3. And, their and in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. Their judgment from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. So he says, in their greed, they will exploit you. In their covetousness, in their greed, they will exploit you. So they are exploiting people for money. They're exploiting people for money. Now, um, uh, I'm, I'm not quick at all to use this as a railing judgment against people. You know, what God is, however they want to teach... You know, in, in our church, you may not have noticed it, but in our church, there's just, <clears throat> there's just one period per year where they talk about 
about uh, 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 giving, and that's I, I think it's in in January or February, something like that. And every year they'll hit on the topic of giving, and I think it's for maybe like two Sundays. That's it. And it's interesting for me to hear that people will be like, the pastor's always talking about money. I'm like, um, so you, you you got 52 Sundays, and he's talking about it two Sundays out of 52. No, he's not always talking about giving. And, and to tell you the truth, he's not, <clears throat> he's not really uh, looking to get lots of money from the church, the, the people in the church, from those who are <clears throat> generally members of the college class. He's not looking, he's not uh, uh, thinking that the college students are going to be the ones that are really going to underwrite these things. It is really for you. It is for your good. It is for our good that he says these things because we need to be taught how to give. If you think you were, you, 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 you were born knowing how to give, you're wrong. We, we are born selfish. You look at little kids, they're selfish. They want it for themselves. We have to learn how to give. And part of that teaching comes from the Bible. The church focuses in on it for like one or two Sundays a year, and that's it. And then they, they, they get off the topic unless it's, it's there in the Bible. Now, many people have said that Jesus spoke more about money topics than any other topic in the Gospels. I don't know. I've never counted. But he certainly does use a lot of parables that are tied around money because this is, this is where... This is where people see. This is this is uh, uh, what really touches them, and 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 I'm sure when Shireen listens to this, if she listens to this, she'll she'll say, yeah. I mean, you think about money all the time, and yeah, I'm I'm Jewish, and I think about money all the time. And people are going to say, oh, don't say that about Jews. Look, I'm a Jew, so so I have a little bit more freedom to say that, and that's that's kind of the the joke the joke about us. But it's certainly true for me that uh, uh, you know when the kids talk about something they want to do, I'm. Even if I don't voice it, I'm calculating in my mind, okay, how much is that going to cost me? As soon as uh, Shreen start, starts talking about these trips she's going to make to Israel, and she'll be on the phone with my daughter, um, she's just planning this fun trip, and I'm thinking about the dollars that it's going to cost me and how we're going to manage that. Uh, that's just, just you know, the way I am. I don't know if, 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 if there's Gentiles that think like that, but... Um, uh, I don't even know if there's other Jews that think like that. I, I do. And, uh, um, but he says that, that these false teachers, in their, their, in their covetousness, in their greed, they look to exploit people with false words. And this is, again, another pattern you will often see. So what he's doing is he's giving us patterns of false teachers. Patterns of false teachers are they are not, they're going to deny the things of Jesus. They're going to deny him. They're going to deny the master who bought them. They're going to not deny his work. Another thing is that they're going to speak often with, with sensuality. They're going to be hitting on women in subtle ways. They're going to be hitting on women. Uh, and, and, and so, so um, you know, women have a sense on, on how people are looking at them. And uh, um, women will often get, get this sense and they'll perceive this. And, and I'll tell you, in a marriage... It can be used to your advantage for protection because uh, 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 even when it's used in the other way, I mean, when women are getting too cozy with me, Shireen detects this much quicker than I do. And she'll right away just either, you know, come and just say, okay, 
you, you know, Jim, come here. I want to talk to you. I mean, she just pulls me away from this thing, pulls me away from this situation. <laughs> and uh, uh, you think, yeah, she must have done that a long time ago. I mean, she still does that. I mean, she, when she thinks that, that, that things are, are even the slightest bit awry, she will come and just in, insert herself there and, and pull me away. And I thank God for it. I really do. I mean, I, I, don't, I don't need any of these troubles in my life. I've got enough troubles that I have to deal with. So, uh, uh, and, and um, you know, I'm not, a, I'm not a marriage counselor. People will talk to me about their marriages, and I'll kindly listen, but I said, look, I'm not a marriage counselor. I, I, I'm just a chemist. I'm just a chemist. And, uh, um, you know, we got, we got marriage counselors in the church. We've got professional marriage counselors. I mean, you got trouble in relationships. I'm glad to pray for you, but, but I'm not a counselor on these sorts of things. And when Shireen sees this, uh, uh, she'll help me. She'll she'll help to protect me in this, and then uh, um, uh, it and then it talks about a third aspect that, that they'll do is they'll often be greedy. They'll be hitting you up for money over and over again. It's never enough. It's never enough. This is what he's talking about, and he says for these people, their judgment in verse three is from long ago. Is it's not idle. Their judgment is not idle. It's going to come swiftly. And their destruction is not asleep. Their destruction is sure. Now what we're going to do is we're going to look now, we're going to read a portion, and he's going to give us examples of where God's judgment came took place. And what, we, what we're going to see in this is that God can deliver from and to judgment. God can deliver from and to judgment. And that's exactly what he does. He delivers people to judgment, and he delivers others from judgment. He delivers uh, uh, those who have a heart for him. He delivers them from judgment. Those who don't have a heart for him, those who are the false teachers, he delivers them to judgment. And if you ever get this feeling like, you know, God doesn't uh, 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 judge anyone, or uh, I don't know how you read these portions. <clears throat> so, <clears throat> Second Peter chapter 2, reading from verse 4. <clears throat> For if God did not spare the angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to pits of darkness reserved for judgment, and did not spare the ancient world, but preserved Noah, a preacher of righteousness, with seven others when he, he brought a flood upon the world of the ungodly. So he's not, he's not done with the, with the if. But I'm going to stop there because I just want to focus right in on this first part in verse 4 and 5. If God did not spare angels when they sinned. So angels can sin. And he did not spare them when they sinned. But he cast them into hell and committed them to pits of darkness reserved for judgment. So what he's referring to, he is referring to Genesis chapter 6. Because this is coupled right in with the account of Noah. So this is what he's referring to in Genesis chapter 6. So if you look at Genesis chapter 6, reading from verse 1. Now it came about when men began to multiply on the face of the land, and daughters were born to them, that the sons of God saw that the daughters of men were beautiful, and they took wives for themselves, whomever they chose. Then the Lord said, My spirit shall not strive with man forever, because he also is flesh, Nevertheless, his days shall be 120 years. The Nephilim were on the earth in those days, and also afterward. 
when the sons of God came in to the daughters of men, and they bore children to them. Those were the mighty men of old, men of renown. The Lord saw the wickedness of man was great on the earth, and that every intent, <clears throat> the thoughts of his heart, were only evil continually. The Lord was sorry that he made man on the earth, and was grieved in his heart. And the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, from man to animals to creeping things, to birds of the sky, for I am sorry that I have made them. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. <clears throat> so, uh, when, when the Bible talks about the sons of God saw the daughters of men, all theologians that I know will say that the sons of God is a reference to angels. The sons of God. Not the Son of God, but the sons of God. And when he's speaking about Jesus in the Old Testament, it is said, the angel of the Lord. The angel of the Lord is when he's speaking about the, sons of, the, the, the Son of God. But when he says the sons of God, he's talking about angels here. So there were angels that interbred with human women in Genesis chapter 6. And if you say, well, I'm reading something into it, no, you're reading something out of it in the sense that I'm going with mainline Christian thought, mainline Jewish thought in this. Uh, uh, and, and most theologians would certainly agree with this, that, that, the, that this is an implication that there were angels that were intermarrying with human beings, with, with women, because it says that they found them beautiful, they took them as wives, and the Nephilim were born. The Nephilim were this, this, uh, uh, this, this uh, uh, mixed race. They were half angels, half human beings. They were called the men of renown. God ended up wiping them out in the flood, such that when Israel went into the land and they saw big people, when some people came back saying, and the Nephilim were there, they were lying. There were no Nephilim in there. The Nephilim had been wiped out in the flood. And that's why when we see when Joshua ultimately came into the land, there were no Nephilim. There were, there, there were the, uh, 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 the sons of Anak, which were very large, uh, uh, but there, uh, and there were the, the, also the descendants later on of, uh, of, of Goliath and the family of Goliath. It was very large men, but they weren't these Nephilim. God wiped out that race. And the reason he wiped it out was because in Genesis 3.15, he promised that a Savior would come, and that Savior was going to come through this, these Jewish people, through these, these Hebrews. And if Satan could infect that race with these fallen angels, then the Messiah couldn't come. So this was his strategy, and that's why God wiped them out. And God said, look, I'll give you examples. If you think there's not going to be a judgment, look at the angels that I did this to. That's exactly what I'm talking about. I'm talking about these angels that I did this to. And, uh, uh, and I put them in this place, and it says, he did not spare angels when he, they sinned, but he cast them into hell. This word hell is Tartarus. So within Sheol, Sheol is, is, is the Hebrew, Hades is the Greek. Within Sheol, Hades, there's a place called Tartarus. That is a place for eternity. Eternity, they, 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 this is an eternal judgment. The ones that were placed in Tartarus, that was a place of eternal judgment. There was no getting out. That's where these angels were placed. And then one day, these will be trans, 
translated to the lake of fire, which is another eternal place of judgment. So, so this is an eternal place. This is different than the abyss. The abyss was a separate place within Sheol. And, and uh, uh, the abyss was a temporary holding place. So, so, so angels could be committed to the, uh, demons could be committed to the abyss, and then they could come out. It was a temporary sentence. But Tartarus, the one he's speaking of here, this was forever. They were never getting out. Uh, for what they did, uh, trying to 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 uh, uh, infect the race, and that's why God said, "I'm going to kill them all. I'm just going to kill them all." And there was this pure family, and that was the family of Noah, and that's what He said He's going to deliver. He could deliver to judgment, and He could deliver from judgment. This is what He's talking about. Um, we're gonna we're gonna have to begin to wrap it up, but let me just say that that. Um, if you do not know the Lord, if you do not know the Lord, please give me an opportunity to share with you. I'm obviously not there in the room with you today, but send me an email to tour at drjamestour.org and I will gladly get together with you and share with you. Please give me that opportunity. Um, uh, there, there's, uh, there's so much truth in what we have here. And I mean this for your good. Let me share with you. Uh, I will be glad to do this. There is a judgment that is coming. And we're going to read more about judgments that are coming. And so he's going to give us examples of judgments. And he's going to give us examples of deliverance. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for your word. Lord, I thank you that this scripture seems to suggest that, that redemption is for all. That it is there. That salvation is provided to all. And Father, I pray that those who hear these words would avail themselves of this. That they would avail themselves of it and take hold of it. Lord, that they would take hold of it. Father, I pray that, that you would draw people to your son. And if they're in this Bible study today, if they're taking time to listen to this, then Father... It must be among the elect because the, the non-elect are not at all interested in hearing these things. Father, open up their hearts. Let them not take more and more years of their life to not listen to this word. Father, open it up for them, I pray. Draw Jesus into their lives. Father, may Jesus be in their lives and draw them to Jesus. For the glory of Jesus and in his name. Amen.